Good morning. I am happy to be with you. Thanks for letting me join your your crowd. Um, A little bit about me quickly. Uh, I started out as a children's Sunday school teacher and a children's uh, Bible study fellowship leader. And uh, I never felt comfortable around women. God is so funny. He's so um, I told my supervisor that um, whenever I go into a group of women, especially that I haven't met before, I always feel like my dress is hiked up and I'm carrying toilet paper all the way into the room. So anyway, that's, that's me and my friends know me that I'm silly. I like to cut up and, and I love the words. So let's pray real quick and then we'll get started. Father, give me the words this morning that you have for this this time and these ladies. I pray that you give me words of light and life and of hope. God, help us to concentrate on you these next few minutes. And uh, I pray that you will bless our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, uh, when we received an email, the speakers that are speaking at your uh, Bible study this semester, we were given a choice of chapters, we were given a choice of dates, and I looked through each one, and I hate to admit it, but I chose chapter four. Uh, It's got a lot about uh, suffering, and I'm like, whoa, Bobby, really uplifting choice here. Um, But I felt like it was a topic that I could relate and share with you some of the things that have gone on in my life. And suffering something that you've either done, you're doing it, or you will do. All of us deal with it. We all want to avoid it if we can. And uh, yet, Peter and God have a lot to say to us about it. Um, I wrote this thesis out, and my husband edits my notes because if it passes his test, we're, we're you know, I'm in the ballpark. So he said, um, "Bobby, you haven't you haven't defined suffering." I'm like. Okay, Um, so just so that we're on the same page, suffering is the state of undergoing pain, distress, or hardship. For another uh, dictionary or another source I looked up says, suffering implies constant, conscious, excuse me, conscious endurance of pain or distress. And I thought that one was kind of interesting because we're not just laying in a coma, and suffering, we're aware that we're suffering, and it hurts, and it's hard, and um, we are conscious of it, and we are hoping it will be brief, and we'll learn what God has for us in it. Now, uh, along the line of suffering, and God getting our attention, uh, one of my pastors that I sat under for a long time, um, used to say that God has a paddle for every behind. And um, 
Mine is a two by four. Not because I'm quite that wide yet, but um, by that he meant that God knows the buttons to push for each one of us to get our attention, to put us on a new path. As I said, mine's a two by four because I'm willful and I'm stubborn and I forget. I forget how much he loves us. I forget how much he cares for me. Um, So he has to send a shockwave through me every once in a while and say, wake up. So uh, I try to avoid that as well. Um, That's usually the beginning of the suffering. Uh, As I said, everyone suffers. Uh, and there's lots of purposes for suffering. I'm not going to list all of them or we'd be here all day. One purpose is to teach us something that will be beneficial or to teach us something that we need to avoid. Another is to sanctify or purify our souls. Another is to give us perspective or focus that we lack. Suffering because of our faith is a confirmation that we're on the right path. We're on the path that Jesus trod. If we suffer because of our faith. Suffering happens as a a natural consequence of sin. And it's not to punish us. It's for God to be able to turn us back around in the way he wants us to go. But if we suffer uh, for belonging to Jesus, it is not... God's punishment is not designed to make us squirm or make us hurt. Um, Suffering also shows us our need for God. I've met a lot of people who've said, you know, I never got on my knees like I did when such and such happened. I never was forced to live moment by moment until I had a sick child or until, you know, we went through a crisis with, with uh, my husband or whatever. Um, suffering brings us to our knees. And that is not all bad, no matter what it is. Something that brings us to our knees before our creator is not a bad thing. Suffer, uh, excuse me, suffering can strengthen our faith. It can also discourage us if, we, if we're not careful. Um, and then there's sometimes we just suffer. And we may never know why. And that's the kind I don't like, so we're not gonna, we're not gonna talk about that one. Okay, let's look at 1 Peter 4.1. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, Arm yourselves also with the same purpose because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, I'm going to treat you guys in my brain as though you were in one of my Bible studies and that will make me not be afraid of you or or intimidated by you. Uh, If we were in a Bible study, there'd be questions and we'd all be discussing it instead of me hearing my voice. Uh, But we're not, so... Uh, we'll get through it, but, but uh, I would love to have a Bible study this big. Okay, therefore, when a passage begins with the word therefore, I know you've heard this a billion times, you always want to look back and see what it's there for. 
So I looked back to see what Christ's purpose for suffering was, and I found it in the previous chapter, 1 Peter 3, 18. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So that's, that's the purpose that, that we see. We'll talk about that uh, in just a second. Uh, back to 4.1, it says, arm yourself with the same purpose that Christ had. Uh, Jesus' purpose, as I just stated in 1 Peter 3.18, was to bring us to God. If we are to arm ourselves with the same purpose, we are to bring others to God. And that's what Peter's talking about here. Arm yourself so that you can tell others about Jesus and you can uh, bring them along in the faith and encourage them to accept his free gift of salvation. Okay, moving on, 1 Peter 4.2. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Okay, uh, this arming that I just talked about must be intentional. It includes time in the Word. It includes prayer. It includes study. It includes meditation, worship. Uh, just like meeting a new person, you wouldn't, you wouldn't try to tell someone about someone else if you didn't know anything about it to begin with. So we've got to at least have a cursory uh, knowing of who Jesus is and hopefully more than that before we uh, share him with others and, and introduce them to him. Uh, we also need to make a decision to live for the will of God as it said, not for the lusts of men. And in three and four, uh, it will tell us about what that looks like, the lusts of men. Uh, we choose to forego pleasures of this life. And I say pleasures. Sin uh, is usually presented as, oh no, it's a bad thing. It's a horrible thing. Sin is just, you, why would you want to do it? But it's been my experience that a lot of times sin is fun. Sin is exciting. Sin is, is rebellious. All those things come right at you with sin. The bad thing about sin is there's always a consequence. There's always a price to be paid. And that is, uh, that is what we want to avoid. Um, if we're in God's will, we're in the very perfect place. All right, Ephesians 6 says much the same thing as I just read to you from 1 Peter 4. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. I remember singing with my, my children some song about the full armor of God and we had all the pieces of the armor and we put it on. Uh, but that's what we're called to do every day that we go out into the world um, and especially every day that we try to tell others about Jesus. Uh, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against rulers, against powers, against world for- forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, because of all this, we're looking back, therefore, because, because it's, it's a world where we need to be armored, the full armor of God, um, put on the full armor of God so you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Now, moving along to the second part of 4.1, I'm kind of backing up just a little bit. Sometimes I skip around because of topic. But 1 Peter 4.1b says, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. The only person I know that has ceased from sin is Jesus. I don't, I don't um, mean by my remarks that I'm going to make in just a minute that we can get to the place where we cease from sin. In one, uh, one uh, source I read, physical suffering can teach us to depend on Christ. Things one once thought insignificance take on new meaning other things lose their value when you're hurting life kind of hones down into a little bitty um, list of things food clean clothes um, place to sleep sinful desires become less alluring if we have learned to depend on Christ to help us through so when we're suffering, honestly, we don't have the energy to uh, pursue sinful desires because when we're physically suffering, it's, it takes all of our energy to get through the day. And I'm, I'm uh, speaking about this uh, because I was in a bad skiing accident about five years ago. I was seriously injured. Uh, this shoulder that I can do this with now, I couldn't do, the, do it then, but it was shattered. <clears throat> Three ribs were broken, and my lung was collapsed over here. And really, those, those ribs and that lung didn't really bother me a whole lot, uh, which I thought it was so weird compared to bones moving around and not being connected to anything in my shoulder. The, the three broken ribs were a piece of cake. Everything's relative. Uh, if, there, if that was the only injury I had, uh, had uh, suffered, like the three broken ribs and the punctured lung, I'm sure I would have been aching and, and complaining and, and so forth. It would have hurt a lot. But compared to my shoulder that was screaming, um, they really didn't bother me. So back to our topic that I just said, physical suffering enables us to decide to live totally for him. It, physical suffering focuses our objective in life. Uh, the, it simplifies things. When you can't do much physically, you're forced to accept your lot or to ask for help. God forbid. I'm not good at asking for help. There's a lady down here who uh, went shopping for undergarments for me while I was, while I was uh, 
suffering, physically suffering, and I'll never, never, ever forget that. It's hard for me to ask, but she was so gracious. So we've got to choose, ladies, how we're going to live. First Peter 4, 3 and 4. For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them. And it's talking about your buddies, your, the people you've been running with. They'll be surprised um, that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. I don't like it. Uh, essentially, he's saying that if you've lived your life for all those things, for drunkenness, carousing, lust, sensuality, abominable, say this 10 times, abominable, abominable idolatries, uh, then that's enough time wasted. He's like, cut it out. You've done enough. It's time to turn. It's time to turn to, uh, to the right path. Uh, he, he tells us, right, in, in just the next couple of verses that we will give an account to our maker. So straighten up and fly right, as my dad used to tell me. That's what Peter's telling his audience. So again, I say give up the old life. The old life might be characterized by that list I just read. Uh, Alistair Begg describes that old life of dissipation and drunkenness, etc. He says it's the dark list of pagan living that's dressed up in trendy clothes and drives in classy cars and is market, marketed as a desirable way of life seven days a week in our affluent Western culture. It's, it is disguised it is shiny, exciting, bright, and new, but it is nothing new. It is nothing uh, short of, of what Satan exactly wants you to do. Um, okay. Uh, now, some of us, our former life may not be described like that, but we might describe our former lives as selfish, greedy, irritable, with having malice against others, narcissistic, self-effort. I was raised to pull yourself up with your bootstraps, get going. As my dad said, straighten up, fly right. He was a pilot in World War II, and you know that's just what you did. You just got on with it. But um, those things are no less sinful than the first list. Bad attitudes, that was kind of the, the chief of mine. Um, sin is sin. God sees it all as the same. So we, we step out of the old lifestyle and start living for the will of God. And as I said, your family and friends will be surprised and they won't like it. They'll malign you and... Uh, call you all kinds of names perhaps, mock you, because your new choice of lifestyle makes them feel uncomfortable. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So 
it says the word all, and it says will be persecuted. So we're going to talk about that in a minute. We should not be surprised by that. We are told Peter and here Paul in in 2 Timothy tells us suffering's coming if it hadn't come already. But also judgment's coming. Peter is straight with us. He's straight with his audience. He promised that if you don't turn your life around, you will be mocked. Excuse me. If you do turn your life around, those that you used to know will mock you and malign you. But if your life does turn around for for Jesus, you will be persecuted. Thanks, Peter. (laughs) Great choice. But nonetheless, it's true. He was not afraid to state the truth. If you've never been mocked or maligned by someone you love, then thank God. Our firstborn son um, is very smart, creative, and severely mentally ill. During his teen teen years, uh, almost daily, I was verbally attacked, mocked, and maligned for my faith. Um, One of the things he used to love to say is, "You're you're just the perfect little Christian wife. To which I wanted to punch him in the nose, but I didn't. Um, But he's almost 40 now, and um, his attacks have changed somewhat. He um, states that he loves God, and he still believes that I'm stuck in rules and legalism and conforming to how things should look. And he says, I don't have the big picture. And I say, you're right, I don't have the big picture. I know the, I know the one who has the big picture. I don't have it, thank goodness. I can barely keep my little picture going. Uh, but uh, his attacks were and are really difficult. Um, I'm not, I usually think of the right thing to say about an hour later. Don't you hate it when that happens? It's like, oh, I should have said this. I wish I had said that, uh, but I'm not good on my feet to, to argue, and so, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't sometimes, I felt like stand up for my faith in the way that I should have, I could have. I did stand up, and he was very well aware of that, but um, this goes on uh, to, even through Monday night. <laughs> Welcome to my world. And you thought it was just a meek, separate woman come to talk to you about my perfect, my perfect life. These days, I usually don't engage with him like I used to. I don't argue with him anymore. It's not because I don't want to share my faith or I don't want to set him straight. I really want to set him straight. But... Jesus says in Matthew 7, 6, do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine or they'll trample them under under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, please don't misunderstand. I'm I'm not calling my son a dog or a pig. Um, Jesus' words meant don't throw your pearls of wisdom before 
before those who will not understand and won't even try to understand, who have no intention of understanding. Just stop it. Um, it's like that Bob Newhart sketch. The, the, he's the psychiatrist, and the girl goes to him, and she says, oh, I, doctor, I'm so scared of being, being buried alive in a box. And his great wisdom was, stop it. If you've ever seen the sketch, if you haven't seen the sketch, you need to look it up. It will make you laugh. Uh, but I don't do that because maybe I'm a little older, maybe I'm a little wiser. I know I'm tireder <laughs> than I used to be. But uh, judgment, Peter says, will come in, in 1 Peter 4, 5, and 6. But they, and when he says they, it's us, ladies, they will give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached, even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. There is a day of reckoning, reckoning coming, and we will give an account. God is not, um, God is not asking us to... Um, He's not saying to us, you'll give an account and, and your salvation will depend on it. That is not the truth. Uh, but we will give an account for the things we've done. And we will be rewarded for those things. He promises us that. Um, second, second section of this, of this chapter is verses... Uh, is what am I trying to say? The second section includes verse 7 through 11. And uh, it's kind of a manual for suffering. When you do suffer, what do you do? 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. First thing he says is pray. Praying is important. Uh, and be of sound judgment. Um, so you know what to pray for. If you're... I know there's times I've sat down, I don't even know what to pray for. And there's times I've had to say, God, I don't know what to pray for. I'm, I'm clueless. And that's okay. But be of sound judgment. Pray for, pray for uh, the things that will make your prayers efficient and effective. Um, judgment is the ability to judge, make a decision, form an opinion objectively authoritatively and wisely, especially in matters affecting action, good sense, or discretion. And secondly, he tells us to be of sober spirit, and this is all under prayer. So your prayers are serious and rational. He doesn't want a hysterical woman you know, going wacky and not being able to understand. If you've ever tried to comfort someone who's crying, you can't understand them. So he's asking us to be a sober spirit, to be serious, to calm down, and think about the things that are really important. Uh, sober means marked by seriousness, gravity, solemnity, subdued, free from excess, extravagance, or exaggeration, showing self-control, sane or rational. So he's telling us to be disciplined in our prayer life. We can talk to God about anything, but if we're praying for something specific, we want to be disciplined. 
Okay, second of all, 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Now that word fervent is used here in the connotation as being stretched or strained to the limit. Uh, It's used of a runner moving at maximum output with taut muscles straining and stretching to the limit. You've seen those, the pictures in the Olympics of of the athletes who are in full stride, who are straining for the tape. That is the... That is the um, word picture here. Uh, in everyday words, I always tell my groups the gospel according to Bobby that you might could understand. Um, make your love for each other the most important thing other than God. Hold on to it for all it's worth because it is worth much. And it says that, Peter says that, This is because love covers a multitude of sins. That doesn't mean that love covers over or excuses sin. It doesn't mean that love erases the consequence of sin. It does mean that love always brings out the best in people and brings unity when people or circumstances are difficult. Proverbs 10, 12 says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. Proverbs 17, 9, he who conceals a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. There's a time not to repeat the matter is what Solomon's telling us. Now, I I had a great mom. She, uh, She helped me with my kids. I had twins when my oldest son was five years old. So I never figured out how busy people were until I asked them to babysit my newborn twins and my five-year-old. They're very busy. But my mom wasn't too busy. She was so faithful. She watched my kids. I tried never to take advantage of her. But there was only one thing that threw a bunker wrench into the deal. Every time I went to pick my kids up, she would go through a litany of everything they had done wrong. And, you know, all I thought is, why did you bring these heathen children into this saintly older lady's home? You, you terrible person. Uh, there was a lot of guilt there. And, uh, you know, I vowed then and there I wouldn't do that to my kids. Usually I could look at my kids and tell if they had been naughty. You know, I could just look at them. I knew knew that something was going on and I would find it out. Uh, In this case, mom's love would have covered a multitude of sins. It would have made my time away from my children sweeter. It would have brought harmony to the entire family. Now, mom never knew and I never told her. It wasn't that big of a deal. But love and not a raw recap would have been, would have been so gracious of her. Now, of course, when I remember my mom in any other way than perfect, um, I feel like I need to spend time in prayer and repentance. But my mom wasn't perfect, but she was perfectly a blessing for me. So I'm thankful for her. Peter tells us in uh, verse nine, be hospitable to one another without complaint. 
He's referring to strangers there, ladies. Uh, Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels unawares. As like, wait, hold on one second. I lost my place. Oh, turn two pages. Part of this reason uh, for being hospitable was the world at that time. There, um, there were not very many inns, as attested by Joseph and Mary in Bethlehem. There were not very many places to stay along the road when you had to go somewhere. And um, thieves and robbers and charlatans loved that. So the admonition was to be, to be whenever people are out traveling, offer your home, offer a meal, take care of them. And here's the kicker, ladies, without complaint. Now, that's a kicker for me anyway. One of the certainties of life is that nobody wants something done for them by a person who's resenting it. One great rule my husband taught me, if you can't do whatever it is without expecting praise and without grinching, then don't do it. It's not worth anything anyway done in that spirit. Philippians 2, 12 through 14 says, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. That generation was just then um, described by Paul and Peter's describing the same kind of generation, and I dare say we have the same kind of generation today, a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ you'll have reason to glory because you, you didn't run or toil in vain. Okay, 10 and 11, first 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11 says, use your gifts to serve the body. As each one has received a special gift, employing it, employ it and serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter says, use your free gift. It's about the only thing, well, it is the only thing that I know of that is free. And Peter says, use it wisely. Um, James agrees with him in James 1.17. Every good thing given... Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. I love that. He's the Father of lights. There's no variation. It doesn't get dark and light. It doesn't, it doesn't you know, give us seizures from the blinking. There's no variation or shifting shadow in God. He is the Father of lights. Okay, Peter gives us two examples. Whenever we're speaking, speak the utterances of God. And and that was my desire this morning, that I would speak the utterances of God, not the utterances of Bobby. Um, 
In other words, use your gift for God's glory. And second one, he says, if you have the gift of service, do it as one who is serving by God's strength. I heard one pastor comment on that. He said, therefore, when someone asks you to step out in faith and take on a new position of service, there will be no saying, I can't do it because I'm not strong enough. Of course you're not, but God is. God supplies the strength for his glory through Jesus Christ who belongs to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Verse 12 through 19, the third part of our, our chapter, how to suffer well is what I entitled it. It's such a strange phrase, how to suffer well. I, I um, One of the pastors that, that I was taught by for years uh, used that phrase, and I'm always grateful that he, he used it because so many things in the Bible seem so rigid, you know, Forgive your enemies, be patient, tithe, um, rejoice always, follow me. And it sounds like you got to do it 100% of the time, every day, perfectly. Well, I don't know about you, but that doesn't really work in my life. My, uh, my hard-headedness or something always gets in the way. So by the phrase, suffering well... He meant, or struggling well, sorry, uh, which is much the same thing. He says it's, it's a relative thing. It's not, it's not the gift of salvation that we, you know, we, we realize that Jesus died and was buried and rose again. Those are things we, we don't, we have to believe in those things 100%. There, but forgiving, being patient, being kind, those things we, we believe in, but we just, we just can't do them 100% all the time, every day. Uh, so he says, that is struggling or suffering well. Um, today, I'm striving and struggling to be a better person, to obey his calling, to love others. But I don't do those things with 100% success. I'm doing better than I did five years ago. I'm doing better than I did when I was first a Christian, and that's struggling well. I'm endeavoring to be better all the time. And I'm a lot older than most of you, and I've got lots to learn, and I've got lots to struggle through. So um, it's, I, I, I've said this several times in my group, on a good day when the sun's shining, when I stand on one leg and pat my head just so, when I haven't dealt with any humans yet, I do okay with the gift of kindness or patience or whatever. When life comes at us is when we are, um, is when we are faced with, with uh, the reality that we don't do those things perfectly. We strive to, but we don't. So, so struggle and suffer well. 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. What he means by this, suffering is a normal thing in life. Um, if you aren't facing it, I said this before, you will be or you've already. Um, the... Uh, 
Matthew 5.45 says he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends his rain on the just and unjust. Suffering comes to the believer and to the non-believer. That's just, that's part of life. Um, it was hard for me to understand that when I was younger, um, Christian-wise, in my Christian walk when I was younger, I used to say, why me, Lord? I'm not as bad as Bertha over there who, who does so-and-so, and, and um, why me? Now, the longer I live, God, God uh, has shown me my sinful self up close and personal, and when suffering comes, I tend on a good day <laughs> to say, why not me? I've done so much to fall short of your glory, God. Why not me? You know, I, I, I don't deserve what you've given me thus far. So I, um, I ask God to teach me what he has for me in this situation. Now, I don't want to have to be a repeat or remedial student. So I want to learn it the first time. Um, you know, I, I don't enjoy going back over things like that, and I'm sure you don't either. Uh, my husband is a physician, and... You know, I always thought, um, especially when I was younger and my, my older child was just yaha, uh, you know, I thought everybody else has the perfect family. Have you ever thought that? Everybody else is just wonderful. They have the Stepford children that, you know, bow and call their parents blessed as they, as they get up every morning. Um, <laughs> that, that was not us. My husband used to say, you see him on Sunday, Bobby. I see him on Monday. By that he meant when he goes in that exam room and shuts the door, everybody's pretty much the same. Even people that on Sunday look all together, look like they've got everything taken care of, no sweat. Uh, and that has helped me a lot. You see him on Sunday. I see him on Monday. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Some scholars think that that fiery ordeal that, that Peter describes as the suffering that comes at you is a, an allusion to Nero and the burning of Rome. Now, the burning of Rome didn't happen until July of AD 64. And Peter wrote this letter in either 63 or 64 AD. So the odds are that it, this is not really referring to the burning of Rome. But it could be that Peter might have insight about what was coming for the, uh, for the Christians. Because 200 years of persecution was soon to uh, take place. Uh, it's generally thought that um, even though Nero accused the Christians of burning the city down, that he did it himself or he paid someone else to do it. Uh, from that time forward, we do know after the, the fire that Nero had Christians dipped in tar and burned to light the roads. Talk about suffering. Uh, but there is, he only lived four more years after the, after the burning of Rome. People got wise to him and how crazy he was, and he ended up taking his own life. Let's go on, ladies. First Peter 4.13. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice in exultation. 
So as you share the suffering of Christ, you know him in a deeper way. You have to turn to him. You, you, you get on your knees and you ask for knowledge, wisdom, help, whatever. Um, but when I first became a Christian, I heard this. You know, the more you suffer, the more you ought to rejoice. I thought, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> it goes against, it goes against just everything that was in me. No, when I'm suffering, I'll, I wanted everyone to hear about it. But... God, God, has, uh, God has taught me different. James says in First Peter, or excuse me, in James 1, 2 through 4, count it all joys, my brother, when you meet various trials of all kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, this next one, I may have to read it, because I want to get through it, and and we're going to go over time, and I don't. I'm going to try to finish in a hurry. Uh, I had my first really huge lesson on suffering when a, a lady I knew who lived down the street from us. We were we were friends. We were not close friends at the time, but um, when we face problems with our firstborn children. Uh, her daughter was nine years old and developed a seizure disorder that she had until she died six years ago. She would have seizures, 30 to, to 50 seizures a month. Life was, life was tough. And um, I walked through a lot of that with her because we both had twins, the exact same age. And when her daughter fell ill, I bought school clothes and, and took her twins up to Woodrow Wilson at school in Denton and enrolled her twins with my older son and with my twins. Um, so there's a bond there. Um, those boys are right now living really near their parents and they both have three children and God, they're both believers and God has really, really uh, honored that. But uh, the years between then, when we first started, and now have some unforgettable memories, some good and some unbelievably bad ones. We've laughed and cried together. We've remained best friends all these years. I'd love to tell you that the stories just ended great, both of them. You just can't believe it, but I'd be lying. Um, Kelly died six years ago of a seizure, and we know that she's singing and doing ballet in heaven, we get that, but we still cry for her. Um, my son, who's almost 40 years old, is still mentally ill. He's broken every relationship he's ever had. He has broken my family. Um, he has taken a toll um, that... Yeah, I wish, I wish we hadn't had to go through, but I don't think I would be the person that I am today if I hadn't gone through it. Um, we, we mourn for those things, she and I. We, we, we have lunch on occasion and not ever as often as we want to. We laugh our heads off. We cry too. We, we uh, catch up. And uh, when we meet for 
uh, either lunch or Christmas Eve we, or, or Easter uh, and have dinner together. It's like chaos. She has six grandkids now. I have two plus all our, both of our spouses and all the spouses, and it's chaos. But it's also heaven on earth. Even though our stories didn't end like, yay, we're, everything's perfect now. Uh, it's still heaven on earth for us to get together. It's awesome. Um, our favorite verse is Isaiah 43, 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, sorry, get up. Totally get rid of my, my, okay. I think you still help hear me, sorry. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they came out of the fiery furnace, they did not smell of barbecue or, or fire or flame. They were not scorched. We will not be scorched. And we are still putting one foot in front of the other. We are still laughing. We cry, but we're still laughing. Um, if you... First um, Peter 4.14... If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now, there are several instances of this in the Bible. Um, if you're berated or mistreated for Christ, his glory will be revealed to you. And that's, that's a wonderful thing. The suffering in, but that's a wonderful thing. We see that the children of Israel in the desert, God's glory was revealed to them in a pillar of of fire and of, of cloud or smoke. Um, we see that Moses, God's glory was revealed to him and he came down the mountain and his face was glowing and people freaked out and they're like, oh, I don't really want to be near Moses. Uh, so he had to put a veil on. And in the New Testament too, Stephen, when Stephen was stoned, the first martyr, um, those that were watching him said, um, sat. They sat and gazed upon him. You can imagine their noses were in the air. But they saw his face like the face of an angel. And I think that's God's glory. So here's the, here's the bad news that Peter brings. Don't let your poor choices or criminality make you suffer. He's like, don't mess up the name of Jesus. Um, 1 Peter 4.15, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or troublesome meddler. <coughs> One commentary stated, yes, even Christians can commit sin these sins. Believe it, ladies, they can. Uh, we're not exempt from falling into sin, even sins like he murder, um, criminality. We are not exempt from it. Only his powerful word is our assurance that we'll, we will continue to do what's right if we, if we hold it to our hearts. 1 Peter 4, 16. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. What name is he talking about? He suffers as a Christian, so he's telling us to glorify in that name. Don't be afraid of the word Christian. Don't, be, don't apologize. Um, 
sometimes I think Christians go around around um, with their heads down and, and uh, Isaiah 58, 11 says, and the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places. We just read about scorching. Now he's saying in scorched places, he's gonna satisfy you and give strength to your bones and you will be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters don't fail. You are not a pauper, ladies, pauper. (laughs) I'm not talking about popcorn. You are not a pauper. You are a princess. God's word says that. My daughter and I used to love that movie, The Little Princess, and and we watched it, I don't know, billions of times, and in it she says, every girl's a princess, and it's true. God says we are princesses. He's our king, and we will be prince and princesses in his family because he's adopted us. All right, let's go on to 1 Peter 4, 17 and 18. And we've just got three more verses. Um, for it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? I want to say, look at Revelation 21, 22. But, and if it, if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? They have no hope. That's what's going to become of them. It's hard for us ladies to hang on to hope. It's hard for us to, to be faithful and, and walk upright and rightly before, before uh, God in this wicked, yucky world. We live in a sinful world, and um, it's hard, but it's not near as hard as it's going to be for someone who doesn't know Jesus to try to uh, pass that judgment. They will not do it no matter, no matter what. So he's talking about, um, he was talking about, uh, I'm on the wrong scripture, I'm sorry. Romans 2, 9, there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew and then for the Greek. We are held to a higher standards, standard, ladies. Um, and God expects more of us than just, than an unbeliever. We're, we are asked to, to hold on to the hope we have in Jesus. 1 Peter 4.19, Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what's right. Peter's saying, Stay true to the one who sustains his children in suffering. Satan doesn't do that. He doesn't sustain us in suffering. Um, the act of staying uh, is an act of the will to stay true. It's an anchor in the midst of storms. It doesn't depend on our human frailty if we, if we trust him to hold us steady. Psalm 37, 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. During the years that our kids were growing up, uh, there are a few years, just a few, thank goodness, that my husband and I were not on the same page about raising our older son. Um, a difficult child can uh, divide a marriage, can divide a family, uh, and, and it makes things really tense and difficult. 
Steve's my best friend, and he's been my husband 45 years. I think we're going to make it, but we are not exempt. We're not exempt. Um, those years that, that we were not on the same page um, were the loneliest years of my life. I felt like, well, I had. I'd lost my best friend, and, and God was all I had. Even though that was enough, I was, I was still lonely. Just the other day, I was reminded of those years because this weekend we had another incident. Um, he, my son still presents huge challenges. And ladies, I don't mean to say that, that to make my son out to be Satan incarnate. He didn't ask to be born with a mental illness. That is, that is the only thing sometimes that I can hang on to, to remind myself, he didn't ask to be this way. Be kind to him, be gracious to him, forgive him. And that last one's hard. But um, my husband looked over and, and we were kind of squabbling. We weren't really having a fight, but he, he looked over and he said, you know we can't let him divide us. And wonder of wonders, I agreed with him. and. It was like we just turned the whole the whole topic of conversation turned because we've learned that truth. We cannot let him divide us. We um, we're quickly back on the same page, and I know some of y'all have someone impossible or something impossible. It might be a struggling marriage, financial troubles, illness, in-law problems, legal problems, physical or mental challenges. The list goes on and on in this broken world. We all are broken. That's why I tell silly stories about myself because I'm broken. I don't want you to think that, that I live in a glass house. You know, I live just like you do. I mean, we, we as Christians, we hold on to our faith. Uh, one time in my, my Christian walk, I was really angry at God because I had prayed for years that he would heal my son and nothing had happened. We, since, since this time, we had got, my son was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. There is nothing to take to help him. There is, I mean, there are a few things to cure, to help some of the symptoms, but, but um, I was mad at God. Everybody else gets their prayers answered. Why not me, God? And, you know, I'm just like, oh, well, to heck with this. And uh, I, I kept thinking, well, what's better, Bobby? What's, what do we turn to that's better? I, I, I thought that through, you know, from all the, all the religions there were, all the self-help there was, and um, who or what has the power to change people and circumstances? And after about a week of wrangling with this, lots of tears, I was resigned to admit that there was nothing or no one better that could help me other than Jesus. I returned, I bowed at his feet, shamefully sorry for my lack of faith. Since then, it dawned on me, well, maybe he's not going to change that situation, Bobby. Maybe he's not going to cure your son. Maybe he wants to do something in you. Me? <laughs> and he did. He has, he has changed me. And um, nothing's changed. The problems are still there. The, um, everything's still the same, except I respond differently. 
I'm so grateful he didn't kick me out on my ear just like I deserved. He knew the load I was carrying, and he toted it for me. When we were in high school, back in the dark, deep, dark age, uh, we used to have to carry our books. We didn't have backpacks for some reason, and your boyfriend would always tote your books, and so I liked the picture of God toting our problems for us, carrying them for us. And uh, Hebrews 4 says, Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Lastly, 1 Peter 4.19 also says, Therefore, all those who suffer accordingly to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what's right. Uh, We are to entrust our souls. Um, The... uh, in 1984, my husband got an internship, and um, the employer of the hospital changed the, the, after we had signed a contract, they changed it, and, and uh, we had to scramble to try to find an internship um, somewhere else, which is non-existent. Um, but God provided one. He made a special place for for us. And so we knew we were in God's will. We knew we needed to go to Columbus, Ohio. There were only four obstacles where I was concerned. I had a six-month-old baby. I didn't know a soul there. We would be living in a horrible area of town. And four, my husband would never be home. He worked 12 out of 14 days. And sometimes he worked the two days that he was supposed to have off. So knowing this is where God sent us was a great place. But it was like God said, Bobby, get on your, get on your, uh, get on your bike. I'm kicking the training wheels off. Get on your bike and ride. This is where the rubber meets the road. There used to be a Firestone commercial of that back in the dark ages. But... Um, Maybe you're at a place where you're totally alone at the end of your rope uh, and wondering if you're going to make it. When you catch yourself thinking, I can't do this. I don't have enough strength. I can't fix it. I can't bear it. You're right. You're right. You can't. Only God can. He can give you the strength to make it another day, another moment, another minute. Uh, He can... Make it bearable. He can do what we need. He can fix things. He is the only one you need. When you realize this, you're at the end of yourself, and he's enough. If everything else passes away, ladies, he's enough. Until you come to that point, um, you'll catch yourself thinking, but I wish I had this, what I wish. No, he's enough, if that's all we have. He's faithful. He understands. He died for you. 
Okay, I have a couple lessons and then it'll take me two shakes and then I'm gonna be done. God has had some lessons for me and and like I said before, there's God has a paddle for every behind. I am not in control. Not a much. God is in control. He's all I need. Look for small things to cultivate a thankful heart. One thing I always say to myself, and it helps me, it helps me just countless times. I'll say, you know, in the great scheme of things, does this cake frosting, you know, getting burned or looking yucky, does it really matter? In the great scheme of things, does it really matter if this person cut me off in traffic? No, it doesn't. In the great scheme of things is where God lives, and he will take care of it. Treasure kindred spirits. The friend I, I talked to you about is my kindred spirit. I have another one sitting down there. Uh, I have several, but not more than I, than I uh, I don't want to get rid of one because uh, there's not that many of them. Accept the pain God allows in your life. Use it for others. I learned that from Jill Briscoe a long time ago. Use the pain, she said. I didn't understand that except when it comes to labor and delivery. But <laughs> when you learn how to breathe. But it's true in life as well. Use the pain. Don't forget it. Don't wallow in it. Use it for others. Put a hand down to someone who's behind you who's going through the same thing you went through. Laugh when you can. It really is a true medicine. Everyone has something, a problem, a disaster, a burden, a crisis. Everyone has something. You are not the only one. And keep focused on Jesus. Um, Peter who wrote this great book that you're studying, uh, would tell you, I didn't keep focused and I fell in the water when I was trying to walk to Jesus. So keep focused on him. C.S. Lewis wrote this little thing and I'm gonna leave you with that. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You ever hear that megaphone? I'm sure you have. If you haven't, you will. Suffer well, ladies. Thank you for letting me be with you.